0: Well, tonight we are looking at verses 8 through 10. As we looked at last time together in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love him, or to love one another. And In a perfect world, we would have no debts financially of any kind. We're not to look with constraint to give to God the things that are God's, to not not uh, stingily or not grudgingly have to tithe or to give of the offerings, but it, as uh, 2 Corinthians 9 says, it would be joyful from the heart, hilariously we would give. And we would give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that we wouldn't grudgingly pay our taxes either. And if either way you're saying, man, it's going to be tough if I've got to tithe. Man, it's going to be tough if I've got to pay my taxes. You're not walking by faith. And you're not spending your money as God would have you to spend it. God's giving you enough for the tithe and even above that of an offering. And God has given you enough to also pay your taxes. How does it work? I don't know how it works. It never looks like you have enough. It doesn't matter if you make hundred dollars a month or a million dollars a month it never looks like it's going to be enough that's just the way it is in this world but as we honor the lord as we honor the king as we seek first god and his kingdom put him first in the tithe and the offering as we also honor the government that god's given us that's over us and we just do what we're supposed to do god will make it work out and so he says, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We'll just slow down and be in God's timing. We don't have to rush about. We can give honor to whom honors due, custom to custom, fear to whom fear. And in a perfect world, to owe no one anything but to love him. Now our economy is built upon paper, and it's a very Uh, unstable economy because it's all out there in interest that really is non-existent. And so, uh, you know, even going back to the 50s, the 1950s, there was no such thing as a 30-year mortgage loan. And then they started a three-year mortgage loan and then a five-year mortgage loan and then by the end of the 60s you got 30-year mortgage loans. Now you can get mortgage loans all the way up to 50 years. And before you know it, you'll be able to get one for 200 years, even though you're not going to live that long. It won't matter. Because it's, it's built upon a paper that's got to, it's got to keep circulating the money. And so if you look, if you owe $100,000 on your house and you're making the payment on a 30-year payment, the time you're done, you're going to spend $300,000 on interest to buy that $100,000 house. I mean, maybe not quite that much, but you're going to pay at least two, if not three times more than that house is worth. So the same way, if you put it on a credit card, but I got 20% off, but you just paid 50% extra in the, in, you know, in the interest on the cards. It's, again, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Don't owe anybody anything. Don't get stuck in that, but just be free. There's a freedom. You know the word mortgage, mort means death, gage means grip.
1: It comes from Latin
0: means death grip. That's literally where it comes from. Well, I'll tell you, Matt, if, if mortgages are death grip, then, then what would you call plastic? I mean, it would be strangulation death or something, I, I don't know, um, castration death or something. I, it, I'll tell you, it just is overwhelming at times. And so don't get stuck in that debt, try to be free as much as you can be, be free we're in a wicked world we're in a crazy economy um, and so again sometimes to get a mortgage on a house is, is, works out better than to pay rent, sometimes it doesn't so be good stewards but if you can be free do it for he who loves another has fulfilled the law So you owe no one anything except to love one another. So let's make this clear. You do owe love. You do owe love. Well, I don't owe you anything. You do owe love. You owe love to every single human being on the face of this earth. And that is something that if we as Christians can get into our heads, that we owe love to every single human being on the planet Earth, I believe that we don't have to do evangelism or witness. We'll be such a light, we'll be such a salt, it would be overwhelming. But Satan, who comes and infiltrates the church, is out there and and he keeps working a bad name for us. You hear people all the time saying, it's the last time I'll hire a Christian. It's the last time I'll get a Christian contractor. That's the last time I'll go to a Christian dealership. That's the last time. And so we have a bad name because that's Satan. He's at work. But you know how beautiful it is to see Christians really at work and truly loving as they have been loved. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 1, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy. So if there's any real Christianity out there at all, here's what it looks like. Having, he says, being of like-minded. Having, look at this, the same love. The same love as Jesus Christ. Being of one accord, of the same heart, of one mind. Let nothing, nothing be done through selfish ambition. I'll get ahead of that guy in the freeway. Er, you know, she's not going to beat me to the checking, checkout counter. I'm going to be, you know. No, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others, look at this, better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So there's this heart of sameness of love. Now look at here in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. That's how Christ came and died for us to begin with. He put our interest before his own. It, it, they're in the garden, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass, let it, let it pass, but not my will, thy will be done. He was looking out for our interest. Think of it. God Almighty, perfect came to save us. That would be like you looking down on a bunch of maggots on some dead carcass and your father comes and says, son, I want you to be a maggot to save all those maggots so they can come to live with us for all of eternity. That's Very close to being equal. Unfortunately, we're far worse than maggots. So the analogy is not perfect. But Christ came and saved us. As that song said, uh, Amazing Grace, um, who saved a wretch like me. And so Jesus Christ, putting his want, his desire, his will aside, you see, he put this mind upon himself to see everybody is more important than himself, to see everybody is better than himself. And then he goes on to say, who being in the form of God, in other words, he truly was God, but he did not consider Robert to be equal with God. So he always was God, but made himself of no reputation. He wasn't the smartest man, the strongest man, the richest man, a great king. He was a nobody. He was just a carpenter from Nazareth, Isaiah 52 says his face, was, his, his countenance was nothing to look upon. But taking the form of a servant. So one, he becomes a man. Secondly, he becomes a servant. And coming in the likeness of men, he, we see now that he becomes a servant or literally a slave of men. So not only does he become a man that he becomes a slave of man. Not only is he a slave of man, but being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Remember James and John came and says, his mother came, that little Jewish mom come and says, hey, you know, can one of my sons be on your right and my other on the left? You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? That's right, that's right. Okay, can you go through the baptism that I go through? Referring to his death, the gospel tells us. Oh yeah, yeah, we're ready. You know, their their minds, they're thinking, can we be the greatest men in the world and still be humble? Yes, yes, we can do it, you know. Can I be the most popular person in the world and still keep a contrite heart? Yes, Lord, I can do it, you know. And Jesus is saying, you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the greatest dyer. If you can put your flesh to death and keep it to death, to live for others, you will be the greatest in God's kingdom. Look if you would over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There he says in verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ constrains me. He's overwhelmed. He feels bound. He feels a necessity. Because we judge thus, we reason, we logic it out, we've figured it out. That if one died for all, then all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again guys we are supposed to go to hell a hundred times over for all of eternity right now you remember how many of your lives were before you came to christ the drugs the alcohol Everything you touched was turning sour. The messed up relationships, the messed up body, the hatred, the anger, the frustration, the death that was going on. But God came and he saved us through his son Jesus Christ and brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the son of his love. Why? Because now that we can live a life of love for him. You always see in those movies where a, a guy gets his life saved, and he goes, "Man, I should be dead." And you saved, and then the guy follows him around, saying, "Until I pay you back, you know, I'm gonna repay it by, I'm gonna, re- I'm gonna save your life." And so you have some guy tagging along with the hero in the movie, you know, until finally the hero is getting ready to get killed, and there, out of the clear blue, is this guy, and he saves him, and he goes, "Now we're even." There's just a logic that says you saved me I owe you and that logic there is there in Christianity Christ has saved us we owe him how do we owe him turn to first John the whole book, actually, but we don't have time to read it all. But in chapter 4, it's starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought. That word in the Greek is very strong. It's the same word translated must should, it's translated a lot of words, a lot of different ways, but it's, it's, it's mandatory. If God so loved us, we also now are indebted to love one another. No one who has seen God in any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected amongst us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is presently right now, so are we in this world. As Christ was the Savior who saved us through loving us and dying upon the cross, so now we also live in that same love and also give our lives. Uh, We reason thus that we also die to no longer live for ourselves as Christ did. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him, Because he first loved us. Chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. He who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we see here that since Christ is the Savior, since Christ came into the world, since Christ came into our lives, we have the same debt that Christ gave to us. Christ did not owe us love, but he gave us love. But since he gave us love, we owe love. To who? To one another. He goes on in chapter 3 of 1 John, in verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's the message you heard at the very beginning. Go back to the Old Testament and you'll find that God says in the book of Leviticus and the laws that we owe love to one another. But he goes on to say, not as Cain, who was the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brother, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him by this we know love because he has laid down his life for us and we also there's that word again ought must lay down our lives for our brethren it's not an option we owe love to one another Now, the pharisees knew this they knew from the old testament that they were indebted to love And wanting to justify themselves, they said, well, who's our brother? Who is our neighbor? Who is that guy that we have to love, that we are mandatorily have to love? And look over, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. They were trying to trap Jesus on this very issue. In Luke chapter 10... And starting in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer, that's a religious lawyer, stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you'll live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? So who do I owe this love to? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now you've got to understand a couple of issues here. One is when you left Jerusalem and you went to Jericho, that means that you were going to go through the area of Samaria. And the Pharisees, they so hated the Samaritans because they were half-breeds. They were half-Jews and half from the peoples of that area. And they hated them. It goes back to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah they would actually go around so if you made it to Jericho that means you were going to go through the land of Samaria so these Pharisees here in this story goes ha that serves them right you know there's what's called the the old Roman road and we actually go through old and new Jericho there's actually two Jerichos we go through the middle of them see them the runs of them anyway and then we take this old Roman road we're actually on the road that the Romans built And it's a windy old road. It's really fun to go on. But it's really out in the middle of nowhere. And in a bus, it's scary to go today. You know, I couldn't imagine walking. But there's some really neat sights off of there. There's uh, down in the ravines, uh, the shepherds there do shepherd in exactly the way they did thousands of years ago. They build the uh, little walls up and and they are the door to the sheepfold. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I am the door. And uh, it's really neat to stop and and look at that. But anyway, that that road there, he's leaving Jerusalem, so he's a Jew. He's going through Samaria, which again, these Pharisees wouldn't have liked. But he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So whether he was rich, whether he was poor, there's no way of telling because he's stripped down. He has nothing. There's no jewelry, there's no rings, there's no clothing to identify his status. And in the culture of this day, what status you were depended on what kind of treatment you would get. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. Now, you've got to realize that the priest and the Levites, for them to go now, they're heading towards Jerusalem, and for them to go to Jerusalem, if they happen to be around the dead, according to the Old Testament law, that would make them unclean so now they would have traveled wherever they were a priest or a Levite at wherever country they lived in or whatever area they lived in of Jerusalem and now they're going up to Jerusalem to worship but the time they got there they wouldn't be able to worship because it would take them a month to become clean and so they're looking at this guy who's half dead so which is he half dead or half alive they're saying what if he dies on the way I'm unclean I can't take that chance because I want to go be religious So. I mean, this is really getting them because no doubt they're going, what do you do? Do you be around the dead and then you can't go to worship after you travel all that way? If he does die, or do you help him? So again, this would be a real difficult situation for these uh, lawyers who are listening to this. And so you have a priest and a Levite. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, you've got to realize the Samaritans knew how the Jews felt about them. Had this Jew been alive, he wouldn't have allowed the Samaritan to even touch him. This Jew would not have even gone into his house. Remember later on, even after Jesus raised from the dead, Peter is ordered by the Lord to go into a Gentile's house, and even then he hates it. You read there in Acts chapter 10, he he goes into Cornelius' house and he's going, I've never done this before and I feel unclean about doing it. And so this Samaritan, if he were laying there, according to the Jewish mindset, if he touched that Samaritan, he would be unclean just for touching a Gentile. So here's this Gentile knowing that this would not be reciprocated had the things been turned. Had that Samaritan been there half dead, that Jew that he's getting ready to help, he knows he in no way, shape, or form would have helped him. And so he's doing something to somebody that he knows would never do that to him, even after this guy gets back in good health. For him to be right with other Jews, he would still not be able to help him. So you see the picture here? He knows, I'm going to help this guy and even if this guy gets healthy and he finds me later, he probably still wouldn't help me. That's how stubborn these Jews are. Let me tell you, I never understood how stubborn these Jews were until I got on an airplane and went to Israel. They are the most unlikable people on planet Earth. I know why God commanded us to love them. There's no other way you would. I know why he said in Genesis chapter 12, if you bless them you'll be blessed but if you curse them you'll be cursed because it's very easy to curse them. We had a certain rabbi, which is a high-ranking rabbi with several orthodox Jews, about 50 to 75 of them. They all had their black, you know, they all had their European look. You know, that's the godly look it's not a godly that's 1930s europe but that's the godly look and so there this rabbi positioned himself just right and you can tell after the whole thing's over right in the center of one of the sections in the middle of the section i mean there were 75 of them that he could have they were sitting all over the plane. He could have gotten any side seat, any seat he wanted. But he positioned himself right in the middle of the plane, right in the middle of the big 747. And at their hour of prayer, he began to pray. Out loud, very obnoxiously. Back and forth, he began to nod. And all of the guys get out of their seats and fill the aisles. I mean, clog it up. And it was time when they were just getting ready to serve the food. Nobody could get to the bathrooms. The, the stewardesses couldn't get by. And they blocked the aisles. And they wouldn't let anybody by. And they're saying, please, just move just a little bit. Oh, you know, they're just talking away in Hebrew, bouncing back. And if you tried to skew by them, they would stiffen up and put their shoulder next to the next guy. They weren't going to let anybody buy them until they finished praying. And the captain comes back and threatens them, saying, I'm going to put you in jail. This is a federal offense. Like they didn't even hear them. And they did that for an hour solid. And when they were done, they sat down, expected their kosher meal with forks and knives and spoons that had never been used before. In plastic to prove it and on it said kosher because they couldn't have a Gentile touch their fork. So they had to come from a Jewish factory that only Jews had touched it inside plastic to make sure nobody else touched it. Their plates had to be again kosher plates with kosher food. And uh, I, I wanted to go over and say, hey, your steward is a Gentile. She gave it to you. I didn't because I was so angry at him. The whole plane was angry. And in their minds, you see, in their minds, they are showing the world what true loyalty and dedication is to God. It's obnoxious. And so you've got to understand these Jews' mentality, even though the Samaritan had helped this guy, saved his life, chances are, when that guy was nursed back to health, he wouldn't even shake the Samaritan's hand who saved his life. And this Samaritan, believe me, you know it, but nevertheless, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, Pouring on the oil and the wine, and he set him on his own animal. So, again, he's showing honor. Is this guy rich? Is he poor? Can he pay him back? Can he ever do him a favor? Far as he knows, he's some street bum. He doesn't know who this guy is, but he puts him on his own animal. And again, you got to understand in this day, you putting somebody else on your animal and you walking them says they are greater than you. The slave held on to uh, the bridle of the horse as the master rode on the horse or on the donkey, you see. So this is a very, very humbling, humbling act. Okay? And then he brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So again, the Levites could have said, I'm in a hurry, I've got to get to Jerusalem. Was this guy in a hurry? He sure was. He was in a big hurry. He had to get where he was going. He finally said, I I can't take any more time. I've got business I have to get to. Here, innkeeper, I'll pay you. A denarii is a day's wage. So here's two days' worth of wages. And if I don't make it back on the third day, um, I will pay you whatever more expenses you need to be paid the time I get back. So, in this story, categorically... You have all of the situations. You have a guy that hates him. You have a guy that not only hates him, but looks down on him. That hurts. Rejection, I would rather get hit right in the face than to get snubbed by somebody. Rejection hurts worse than anything. So this, this, this Jew, he knows. If you've ever been snubbed by a Jew, you, you know what it's like. You feel dirty. You feel unclean. You feel like trash. They've perfected snubbing people. They make a Gentile feel like a Gentile. I guarantee it. He's been hurt by Jews in every which way. Here's a man financially. He could not figure out whether he's rich or poor. Time-wise, he was in a hurry, but he took the time. And so here, Jesus, in this story, sort of across the board, covers all the excuses we give why we can't take time and love today. I would stop, but I'm in a hurry. I would, but our heart's prideful. We're not seeing him better than ourselves. We're not seeing his interest is more important than our interest. You see, well, I know what kind of person that is. He's a whatever. And I know what those kind of people are. They wouldn't help if I were in that situation. You see, he categorically wiped him out. But here the Samaritan, as he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Folks, this is a command. This is a command to go and do likewise. To love the unlovable, to love people who have snubbed you, who have hurt you emotionally, to love those who would not help you if you were in the same situation. You see, this is where we have to clear our mind. The love that we have for people is not a reactionary love based upon anything that anybody else does to you or for you or against you or anything. When Christ came and died on the cross, there was not one person standing with him. There was not one person who was receiving of that love. The Bible says in Romans 5, when Christ died for us, we were weak. When Christ died for us, we were enemies. When Christ died for us, we were sinners. We were weak, we were enemies, we were sinners. And this is love. Not that we love in the degree that we understand love, but that we first understand that he first has loved us and understand the love that he has for us and then to love in that same way. Romans 5 says God has shed his spirit in our hearts, that love has been shed abroad in our heart through his Holy Spirit. So it is there, so it is a choice. Now in America, from probably the 1920s forward, we have made love an emotional filling. Folks, love does have emotions with it, and it's wonderful when they show up. But they don't always show up. Love is an action. There's different words for love. We have the brotherly type of love, fileho in the Bible, but we also have the main word, agape. And this is the God kind of love that we're to have for one another. It's never of us. It's always of God. We do not have it in us. It's only by God who lives in us. And folks, that love never, ever, ever, ever is based upon what anybody thinks or does towards you. When the Nazis were arresting Cory Timboom and her sister and her dad. And there the Nazi is treating him and putting the dad on the the um, coach there to take them off to the concentration camp because they hid Jews. The father says, remember, they are the apple of God's eye. In other words, he's telling his daughters, God looks at these Nazis with a heart of compassion and love. Because he knew they were going to a concentration camp and they knew what went on there. Hard brutal treatment. The dad died, the nephew died. Uh, The sister died. A lot of people died in those concentration camps. They knew how brutally they would be treated. And there, if you have read the book or seen the story, it's just phenomenal. When the sister is being beaten because she's old, for one thing, she's having to carry this metal and she's slipping and sliding in these rocks and 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 the lady screams, carry more. And she says, I, "If I carry any more, I won't be able to move." And she gets the whip and just starts beating the sister. And Corey Timboom, her heart is just full of rage, and she's dreaming night after night of taking a knife and just killing that lady, who beat on her sister. And her sister could see her countenance change, and she would just grab her hands and say, "Corey, love." Love them. They're the apple of God's eye. Love them. They're the apple of God's eye. Years later, that one particular soldier who had treated them worse than anybody was there when they had to strip down in front of these men, shower in front of these men, were beaten by these men. And she was in; she, she went around the world speaking, basically saying, we went to the lowest pit you can go, and God was there and love was there. And she was speaking to thousands of people. And this one Nazi who she recognized, he was there going, I'm so thankful that you know of God's love and that you can now forgive me. And he put out his hand. And just all the anger and the rage and the hatred just surfaced in that moment. And here, she's she's, for 20 years, has been out preaching. God's love was there and I love all the Nazis. And, you know, and here's this guy. And he has his hand out, and she's just standing there with her hands down to her side for a minute, just going, I hate this guy. And she's just going, how can I love him, Lord? And give me that love. And and in that split second, she's just crying out. And God God said, do the motion, I'll give you the love. And so she just sort of uh, got her hand up, and as she put her hand in his hand, God just flooded her with the love and she was able to love him. Now, was that an option? No. We owe love. As God has loved us, we owe love. Look over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Now think in the terms of love as we read this in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. So there's justifiable anger, but don't hang on to it. Don't let it turn into bitterness. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So we're human. We're going to have these feelings. We're going to have these emotions, but we've got to deal with it, and we've got to deal with it today. you got to get on your knees, and you've got to say, God, take this anger from me. Lord, take these feelings from me. I don't care what it takes. You take it from me. And you stay there on your knees until God breaks you of that anger and that wrath and he fills you up with his love. Don't give a place for the devil. Verse 28, Let him who stole, still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good and that which may have something to give to him who has need. So work, don't steal, don't say that guy owes me, love doesn't steal. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers? I got cut off today, almost got in a wreck, and my first thoughts were, Eargh! my kids were there, they were looking at me, and uh it didn't, it didn't come out of my mouth, although a couple things sort of came out my lips a little bit, but it didn't come out of my mouth. It's sort of out the edges of my lips.
1: <laughs>
0: no corrupt communication. Do not grieve. Listen, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here it is, verse 31. Let all, not part, all, every bit, every little tiny drop, every bit of moisture, all of it, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor or loud quarreling, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? Just as God is in Christ also forgave you. Exactly as God done to us, we need to do others. Now chapter five, therefore be followers of God as dear children and what? Walk in love. How? As Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. We have to do as God has done to us. What does that mean? Turn to Matthew chapter five, and we'll finish up here tonight. A verse that we've looked at quite a bit uh, there in end of chapter twelve. There in verse 43. Matthew chapter five, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the world, that's the way they think. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, in other words, those who like you, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father is perfect. Guys, that's a command. It's not an option. It's a command. So we see here that there really is no one in any situation that we don't owe love to. We can never say, yes, that would be true, except this situation. There is no exceptions. God has loved all. We also must love all. God loved us perfectly. Therefore, we must love as Christ has loved perfectly to one another. There was a couple that came in and they were so angry at each other, they were bound to divorce. And they had said to the pastor, we tried everything, we're going to divorce. And he says, sir, you have to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And he gave himself up for her. You have to love your wife exactly as Jesus Christ has loved you. He says, I can't do it. He said, well, take a step down. Look at her as your neighbor and love your neighbor as yourself. If you can't love as Christ has loved you, at least love her as a neighbor. He said, I can't do it. He said, well, look at her as an enemy and love your enemy. Pray for her. Do good to her. Bless her. There's no way around it, is there? It doesn't matter how you're feeling. It's going to be the same. You're going to have to love as Christ has perfectly loved us. One more verse. John. And then we'll finish. Second finish. There in John chapter 14. We'll have to come back to this topic Next week, and finish it up, there's too many other verses. They're starting in verse um, 12, John 14, verse 12. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also, think of love now as we're reading this, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And, of course, he knew they wanted his will and, of course, love. If you want God's love, man, he will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Romans chapter 5, the Holy Spirit came in us and shed his love abroad in our hearts. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. And that day you will know that I am in the father and you are in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest, listen, manifest myself to him. Now, Judas, not a spirit, a different Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me You would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father. As the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Chapter 14, verse 8 or chapter 15 excuse me chapter 15 verse 8 by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples verse 9 as the father loved me I also have loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you that your joy may be full this is my commandment this is an order this is an instruction. This is a teaching that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. Jesus says the works that he did, we can do in greater works. If we say, but I can't, you can. How? Because the Holy Spirit, your Helper, is there with you to help you see how to love as Jesus loved. That Helper is there. We can ask anything in Jesus' name, and He will do for us when we pray according to His will. So if you need that love, God will give you greater and greater love. Ephesians 3 says, Until there's the height, the width, the depth, the length, to know the love that passes human comprehension that you might be filled up with the fullness of God. So is God going to put you in situations that stretches your love? Absolutely. Jesus says, what reward have you if you only love those who love you? Jesus also said, beware if all men speak well of you. Jesus says, if the world hated you, it's only because they hated me first. The world loves its own. So God has put us in a situation where we are going to be hated. We are going to be injured. We are going to be mistreated. But that is not our time to start giving excuses and exceptions. That is the time to go ahead and let the Lord stretch us. And so we have those situations at work, in the home, in the neighborhood, with our relatives, with our friends where we are going to be stretched and we can cop out the mentality like the world and say, well, they snub me, I'll snub them. That's the way they're going to think. That's the way I'll think. Hey, I don't care. Fine. Just let them do whatever they're going to do. I'll do whatever I'm going to do. Don't even talk to them. Don't even be around. No. We cannot cop out. What did he say there in Matthew 5? Greet those. Even the Pharisees can greet those who greet them. No. What are you to do? You're to bless. You're to do good. You're to pray. You're to love. We are always in the offensive. The world will know that we are Jesus' disciples by our love. Is it a choice? Yes. Is it a filling? Not always. Is it mandatory every time in every situation with everybody? we are always to be willing to lay our lives down, even like Christ, for our enemies. We're to be willing to lay down our lives for sinners. We're to lay down life for the weak. We were weak. We were without strength. In other words, we had not the ability to desire Christ even after he died for us, even after he blessed us. We didn't, we hadn't, we didn't have it in us to say, thank you for dying for us, or even care that he died for us. In the same way, when we reach out to love, people, sometimes people will go, I don't care. Just, a, you know, whatever. Maybe you went and made this box of cookies for this guy and the guy goes, I don't even like those kind of cookies. Anybody want them? Hey, here. They're without strength. They're without strength. You've got to understand that. That's okay. They cannot yet comprehend the love that you're showing them. They cannot yet understand and receive the love that you're showing them. And they're just taking it and throwing it back in your face. It's okay nothing moves us. Nothing changes us. We, in every situation, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter who they are, no matter what their attitude is, no matter what they might do to us in the future, it doesn't change a thing. We are to owe no man anything but to love one another. We owe love. Why? Because God loved us, therefore we must love one another. Didn't it just sort of bring joy to your heart? I mean, isn't that a great command? It's sort of like if you love chocolate pie, to be told you got to eat a whole chocolate pie, you know? And, and, and those of us who God's love has already shed abroad in our hearts, we're not thinking, uh, I don't care what you say, Brian. I'm gonna, you know. It's not our heart. Our heart is all oh, right. Command me again. I need it. I want to be told to love. And it just brings joy to our hearts. And and just to get all those cobwebs out of our head and to get all those exceptions and all of those, you know, all of the weirdness that Satan throws at us. Just clear our heads and say, Give my eyes upon Jesus as Christ has shown me mercy and kindness and gentleness and love when I was out without strength, when I was a sinner, when I was an enemy. He loved me, and loved me 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 until I was pickled and overwhelmed and overjoyed until I, I just I was flattened out. I was just wasted by going, God, how? Why? Sort of like that guy in China who was trying to rice trying to water his rice patties. And the neighbor down below him. In the night would knock a wall, in knock a hole in his wall, causing all of the water to drain down into his rice paddy. And then he would fix the wall back. And of course, this guy's rice was gonna not grow if it wasn't continually saturated in water. And this went on a couple of days and until he was just so angry, you know, and he just wanted to go down and just tear that guy up. And there, as his wife and him, they just started praying for it, and he said, no, you've got to love him. And so the next day, the guy got up, and he spent all day long watering that man's field. And then when it was nighttime, his wife carried a lantern, Why he then watered his own field all night. And of course, you can imagine what it did to that guy, who realized he didn't come and fight him over it, he just says, if i got to water your field to keep my field water, then I'll do it. God will give me strength. God will help me to go and, and work 18 hours a day if that's what i got to do. But he wasn't going to be overcome by evil, but he was going to overcome evil with good and, and love. Lord, we thank you for your commands. And what a joyful command this is. And we thank you that you've made it clear to us tonight that who is our neighbor? Everybody's our neighbor. And who are we to love? Everybody. We owe love. Forgive us for our attitudes. Forgive us for copying out. Forgive us for seeing ourselves better than others. Forgive us for, for not seeing everybody as more important than ourselves. Forgive us for putting our interests first. Forgive us for not putting other people's interests first. Lord, help us, I pray, to be of the same love and here tonight of the same mind. To have that mind which was also in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we thank you that 1 Corinthians 2 says, For we have the mind of Christ. And to everybody who's spiritually appraising here tonight, who not is in the natural mind, but in the spiritual mind, we just rejoice. Our (laughs) heart is so full of joy, overflowing, saying, Thank you, Lord, because we know your helper is with us. And we know you're going to give us a love that we don't even know about yet. We think we know about it, but we don't know about it until we get to that place to hate that person in front of us and we actually don't just like them a little bit, but we love them with the same love that you love them. Lord, fill us up tonight. Let's, just, let's all just lift up our hands right now and just say, God, here I am, just like a cup. God, fill me up tonight. Just ask the Lord, God, fill me up. Lord, with your height and with your length, with your breath, with your depth, Lord, fill me up, Lord. I just want your love. Lord, please take all those attitudes. Take all that fault finding, that criticalness, that criticism, that that hatefulness, Lord, that unkindness, Lord. Anything that's not of that beautiful spirit of yours. Lord, just fill us up tonight with your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your self-control. Let everything else be set aside. And just all that fills our soul is Jesus.
1: We need you, Lord. In our life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In our life, Lord, be glorified today our lives again. In our lives, Lord, be glorified, be glorified in my One more, in your church. In your church.
0: name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.